Elvis, 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 We've lost track of our lives, and so have you, because you've plugged in to watch Elvis Has Left the Movies, the podcast series where my friend Matt and I barrel our way down a flaming highway to hell by watching all 31 Elvis movies. We don't know why we're on this journey, we don't know why you're on this journey, but we're all here together. Matt, what are we watching today? Today, we're watching movie number 11, 1962's Girls. Girls? Girls? <laughs> girls! So it's girls, girls, girls. Not one, not two, but three. But three. And but there's only two oh God, okay, anyway. I'll do oh, the synopsis. Yeah. Okay, yeah, in a okay. in a startling turn of events, uh Matt is the one who has created the ridiculous bullet points for what happens in this movie. While I was watching the movie, I was literally pausing it every few seconds to write down <laughs> my notes in real time. <laughs> Okay, so here's the synopsis. When he finds out his boss is retiring to Arizona, a sailor has to find a way to buy the West Wind, a boat that he and his father built. He is also caught between two women, insensitive club singer Robin and sweet Laurel. Yes. So Matt, tell us what happens in this movie. All right. And yeah, for those keeping track at home, his goal is the boat. That's that's Elvis's yes. goal yeah. this time. Elvis wants a boat. <laughs> <laughs> so we're back to Paramount Pictures as well. Let me just say that. Yeah. Which we should now see as a sign of bad things to come. And once I see that mountain peak with those stars around it, I should try to run and hide because this is when <laughs> when the when the last few movies didn't do too much money, they went, oh, we got to go back and blue Hawaii it up because that's how we make our money. And do that they did. So this came out November 21st. Did it make a lot of money? I don't think as much, but it was still more successful than either of the previous United Artists productions. Bummer. Uh, Follow That Dream and Kick Out Had, yeah. Damn, that sucks. So November 21st, 1962, this is the third of the three 1962 movies. Because remember, they, he put out three different movies in one year. Yeah, he's got to. I know. It's almost like each of those girls represents one of his movies. Yes. So. Okay, here we go. This is my plot by plot. Yes, give it to us. Elvis is fishing for stock footage blue marlin. <laughs> Off to a great start. <laughs> He's got his clients, and the husband goes to sleep. Mrs. Morgan is getting handsy, but Elvis ain't that desperate for money, at least not that way. <laughs> then, uh-oh, Papa gonna move to Arizona and sell them boats. Then Ross, who's Elvis's character, Ross Carpenter, Ross shows up at the Pirate's Den nightclub. Robin is singing. Uh, she argues with him and calls him Sir Galahad. Oh, Galahad again. Ooh, ooh, ooh. She calls him Sir Galahad a lot. Yeah, at first I was like, oh, that's fine. And then she just does it like five more times. I'm like, okay, we get it. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> she actually has a quote. I'm jumping ahead, but she says, you're Sir Galahad, Don Juan, and Casanova rolled into one. And then, yeah, and then that's when she gets the title. And she says, if it isn't the boat, it's girls, girls, girls. Oh, she literally see, says I it. See. I know. Amazing. I was so checked out of this fucking movie that I didn't even realize. And that's still in the first half of the film. <laughs> Okay, keep going. <laughs> but when he's having his argument at the nightclub with Robin, our old buddy Kenneth Becker shows up. I don't know if you noticed. So there was this drunk guy who's like, hey, you're not hot shit. He's the same dude who turned on the jukebox in GI Blues oh. and got into the fight with Elvis. And he's the same guy who Elvis got into the fight with in Loving You. Oh my God, that's amazing. So they kept bringing him back. I hope he shows up in every movie and gets into a fight with Elvis every single time. 
He doesn't. Oh. Sorry. To burst <laughs> your bubble. burst my bubble. I know. But I like that he's like Elvis's weird nemesis that they kept bringing back a few times at least. I do too. Yeah. Okay. Give us, come on, Matt. Give it. Boom, boom, boom. Let's I'm, see. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Mr. Johnson wants to buy those boats. Then Ross takes him on a little joyride and then squirts oil in his face. Ha ha. There's some back and forth banter between this Laurel chick that he meets. Oh, yeah. So she's like, come have lunch with me. And then when he shows up at the restaurant, she's with this older gentleman. And he immediately, like an asshole, is like, ugh. And then he just storms Ugh. out while knocking yeah. over this poor waiter's plates and making a big ruckus. Doesn't even stop and apologize and like offer to pick up. Nope. He just storms out. He's just like, fuck all of you guys. I hate you. You're not my real girlfriend. Yeah. And then there's a part where he's down at his boat and Robin comes by and says, meh, meh, meh. And then Laurel comes by and goes, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And they both walk away. And then this poor third girl is just like, um, excuse me, sir. And then he just like flips out on her. And he's like, yeah. get out, scat, get out of here. And, and she just like runs like, off. My boyfriend and I were watching that and we were just like, what the fuck is happening in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's that's the very like specific part where this movie starts to go downhill fast. Mm-hmm. I think he's trying to outdo himself in terms of like unlikability for an Elvis protagonist. Yeah. God. Yeah. I hate this character. Yeah. So yeah, any of the back and forth banter is pretty cringy. Then there's the celebration for the mama and papa, their anniversary, whoop de doo it's kind of wholesome. It's the only part where like, I'm like, oh, look, some halfway decent characters that, yeah. aren't, that I don't hate. That aren't, yeah. <laughs> and then we learn about Paradise Cove. Oh, yeah, we should mention- What's on Paradise Cove, Matt? We should mention that this is the second of three movies that he shoots in Hawaii. What's on Paradise Cove? Specifically, Paradise Cove is where there's this Chinese family. Oh, a Chinese family? That are his buddies. Yeah. And, okay, where I'm going to read it <laughs> off the thing. So they arrive at Paradise Cove. They meet their buddy named Kin Young and- Kin is like, oh, yeah, we're having dinner. Yeah. There's a storm coming. And so they're like, yeah, stick around with us. I want to say at first the representation wasn't so bad. Yes. There's the young character, their son Mm -hmm. works with Elvis and he is just a Chinese person who works with Elvis and they give him a bit of the like oh uh, I my English is a little bit uh, not so good blah blah but like but other than that yeah yeah it's not like the fucking worst thing they're just like he's Chinese and he works with Elvis that's it then they get to Paradise Cove it, yeah it lulled me into a false sense of like oh are yeah. they not gonna totally drop the ball on this but then we get to Paradise Cove. Kin is like, yeah, stay with us tonight. And then he's like, oh, we're going to make you all kinds of delicious food. And he rattles off a bunch of Asian cuisine names. Uh, and then... He says, bok choy, loving, this, that, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And then Ross says, what? No fortune cookie? Uh, and then immediately after he says that, they walk up to the house to meet the rest of the family. And the soundtrack literally has the gall to throw in a little... And then my heart just like sank completely. And this is when we were introduced to Mai Ling and Tai Ling, these precocious children, and Elvis sings with them at some part. Then they have the dinner, and then Elvis is the only one using chopsticks, like... Yeah. They're using forks. And well, the, and then, um, what's her name? There, Laurel is there. She's struggling and he keeps just looking at her and be like, oh, 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 look at this chick. Don't know how to use chopsticks. 
I'm the cool white guy who knows how to use chopsticks. While the rest of the family... Yeah, it's really strange. Is the how, Asians is, are using forks. Yeah, and they're all kind of like exchanging glances like, oh, this is silly. And then eventually they throw pity at this poor girl and like give her a fork so she can eat her meal. And he's like, oh, wouldn't want you to starve. Our hero, everyone. Yeah. Oh, and also, though, he gives her the fork and he's like, wouldn't want you to starve. And she's like, thanks, but I'm done eating. It's like, so rude yeah and they make a point of being like oh look at this chinese woman who's making elvis and his date you know prep the meal and whatever it's just like okay are you ready for another doozy valana i have a few quotes that'll make your skin crawl yes yeah let's let's hear what people actually fucking say in this movie um which of course so yeah you've noticed that like my bullet points are still my bullet points so they go on for way too long but i, I like to be thorough <laughs> while at the same time try to be very um brief so they finish their dinner, and then the wife is like, okay, husband, time to do the dishes. And he's like... Oh, my God. And then he says, he says, honorable ancestors do not approve of men in kitchen. And then the, she replies, use honorable detergent. Oh, okay. I'm going to take a breather. It's, it's like physically painful to say these things. Okay. Yeah, I think we should do... Like, instead of what does Elvis want in each movie, we should say, which of the... POCs does Elvis do the dirtiest? <laughs> I think that's what. Well, we yeah, it's do. a no contest here because then yeah. he literally goes out on the porch while they're cleaning up after the meal. He goes out on the porch with Laurel, and then they have an exchange, and he says the line, "You know how the Chinese are, inscrutable." Yeah, they really don't let their feelings show. Yeah, okay. I still don't think that's as dirty as the Indians who say, "If men on bottom of world, how come not fall off?" Sure. The point is, none of this is okay. So bad. It's All these so are bad. bad. Okay, so then we get to the best part of the movie, where Elvis sings in Chinese with the little oh, girls. God, God, God. It's so cringy and so terrible. They, um, yeah, they do this whole little song and dance called Earth Boy, and then he's, they're singing in Chinese, and he's translating for Laurel's benefit, and then he starts singing in Chinese. Uh, and then... How to say want die in English. bring me death now okay the storm shows up ross sleeps on the couch there's another crack about fortune cookies ross and laura go to the porch and watch the storm they're really horny (laughs) (laughs) he leaves he oh she reveals she's running away from some marriage Uh oh looks like papa did sell the boats and he stole them to johnson that asshole that no one likes and then so ross negotiates to work with him to eventually get the boat then we hit the halfway point (laughs) i know he starts working at the pirate's den to sing. So he's got these two jobs because he needs the money because he wants to buy the boat. Meanwhile, the night he's like, yo, Sam, sign me up. I want to sing. He's like, okay, you're, you get to go right now. Laurel is waiting for him at her apartment. And then she gets tired of waiting, goes investigate, sees him singing at the nightclub. And it's like, Argh! and she runs out huffing and puffing. Uh, he messes up the fishing nets. So they bungle that. And then she's like, okay, let's try it again. I forgive you. Come to my place. I'll cook for you cue her in her kitchen everything's literally exploding yeah also yeah there's this weird musical number in the apartment where like everybody's like banging on the walls (laughs) and stuff and like shit just goes fucking buck wild the coffee table is like jumping around yes and then at the end of the musical number the roof caves in and they're just like not addressing it and it's like yes i wrote 
This sequence is really dumb, but I guess I at least appreciate all the set rigging and stuff they had to do to pull it off. Like, kudos to the production designers. Yeah. But why is this a scene? Because here's what's happening. Why is it happening? Yeah. So she makes a mess of the kitchen, and he goes, yo, get out. Let me do all the work. I'll cook us dinner. And then after their meal for a little after-dinner entertainment, they're suddenly eavesdropping on their loud neighbors next door because they're having an argument. And then, like, they literally start going at it. They're like, oh, they're not uh, arguing anymore. Uh, and, uh. <laughs> and then the walls are shaking and the, the picture frames are, like, all getting crooked. And, yeah, the little coffee table is, like, bouncing up a few, like, inches off the ground from yeah. like, someone below that's, like, banging. And this is a, a, a flamenco number, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not just a weird musical number. It's They do it in the style of flamenco. Yep, they're dancing in the flamenco style it's really bizarre which i've noted is actually the only elvis song that does this in any of his movies so i I was watching this and i was i I, like this movie doesn't know what it wants to be this movie has no clue if it wants to be about you know shitting on asian people if it wants to be about romance if it wants to be about fishing it has no fucking idea they rush this you you know they rush this they like we need elvis back in hawaii we need a hit film yeah it worked last time with blue hawaii let's just we can't do that again but let's just put it back in hawaii and then this time they stuffed in 16 songs jesus I with the thinnest of plots to kind of like i didn't even realize there was 16 songs like i was so checked out watching this movie like, it just looks like they filmed a bunch of independent scenes. Mm-hmm. And we're like, nah, I think we can make a movie out of this. Okay. I'm almost at the end. All right. Because, there, yeah, there's like so many musical numbers that go in a row and then the plot continues. Like, oh, yeah, I guess this movie had a plot. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, it turns out that she's like super rich. And this whole time she's, she got burned in the past. So she's been like cagey about her past and who she is to Elvis because she wants Elvis to fall in love with her and not her money. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and she gets a job at a hat shop. For no reason. She doesn't need that job at the hat shop. It literally serves no purpose. No, of course not, which is what you could say with a lot of these things. So it didn't need to be there. Like, why would they have this whole side part where she's like, I'm a milliner. What do you call those hat people? I think they're called milliners. Yeah, the milliner shop. She does say that at one part. It's fucking bizarre. Uh, I'm going to get back to the finale where she's on the boat with that asshole Johnson because he's like, oh, Elvis is in Paradise Cove. I'll take you to him. Yeah, when I was watching this movie, like she was in his office being like, I need somebody to take me to Paradise Cove. And he's like, I'll take you. And she's like, "Mm, I don't think so because you're shady. And he's like, no, it's cool. I'll just take you. And she's like, okay. And I remember thinking like, I would never, ever get on a boat with somebody that was like that. As soon as she got on the boat with him, I was like, I, like my inner, you know, ladies have this, this mm-hmm. background music that they're always dialed into that goes, danger, danger, rape man, rape man ahead. <laughs> and those alarm bells were going off. Like when he was like, I'll take you, sweetheart. And it's like, oh God. While the whole time, and he keeps like grabbing her arm. He keeps touching yeah. her. And, and she's oh, like, yeah. it drives me nuts. I fucking you know. hate it. I want to also mention, though, to about this scene, there's some subtext here. There's an implication here that he's behaving that way because he's drunk. Right before she comes into the office, he's drinking. And the way they frame his drinking is as though he has had a couple of drinks already. So I think that they're trying to suggest that men aren't just like that for no reason. It's because they drink. I didn't even think about that. That makes it a hundred times worse. As if this movie couldn't get any worse. Hooray! (laughs) 
new yeah. layers of shittiness. <laughs> God. <laughs> Which leads to, of course, a convoluted thing where they're on the sailboat and she's struggling with him because, of course, he's like, well, <laughs> and then the buddy from earlier, like the, the son of the Chinese couple, yes. spots them with his binoculars and he calls Elvis. He's like, get over here. And then Elvis comes in on his little boat and then they have a boat fight, a short little fisticuff on the boat. And then they nearly kill Elvis. Yo, yeah, those are stunt people, obviously, but like, holy crap, the boat, their little boat that they're in. I was so fucking scared. I thought those people died on screen. It, yeah, I'm, it's like a miracle that no one, because like- They didn't they, look like stunt people. Like, they did not look like stunt people. Like, the, even the scene on the boat where they're like, Elvis is like, you gotta jump. Well, no, yeah, body doubles for sure. Probably not even like professional stunt people, but just people that look like our people. Yeah. So we can put them in danger instead of our actual big name actresses and actors. Like, they did not need to have that in there to endanger anyone. Yeah, I wrote, Jesus Christ, they almost get squashed by the boat. I wrote that in big Yeah, they, they, they basically what happens is they get on the boat and the boat goes to go around the front end of the sailboat. And in doing so, the sailboat nearly fucking runs them over. I thought it was going to cut it in half. Yeah. I thought the, I thought I was watching people die. <laughs> and like even before that, though, there's a part where Elvis is getting the actress to jump into the boat and she hits the boat hard. Mm-hmm. Like she she fucking... She takes one for the team, man. She did not look happy. <laughs> there was this, like, they came around uh, in, in another scene and, like, she was, like, holding on. I don't know if it's the same actress or a body double or whoever, but she was, like, holding on to the other actor. And you could tell that she was, like, ah! <laughs> She's <Yeah>. freaking out. <laughs> um, Get me off this boat! <laughs> and here's the, actual, here's the actual line of the movie. The only time I can agree with our character. He goes, you know something? I should win a medal for being the world's biggest jackass. And I just said, <laughs> yes, Elvis. Yes, you should. I agree. And then we have a big final reprisal of girls, girls, girls Ugh. with like a billion girls showing up and dancing. Girls of every kind. Every ethnicity. Oh, God. There's, a, there's geishas. Oh, wanna... And then there's... No, these... no. I, about the geisha, yes. though, I do want to just mention, and I know it's not important because this movie is so shit, but actually... For those of you who know me personally, you already know I am a kimono enthusiast and I wear and collect and do a lot of uh, independent research on kimonos and kimono history and from every aspect from Geiko and Maiko to regular streetwear and all that stuff. The kimono that they are wearing in this scene are not real geisha or Geiko or Maiko kimono. Geishas only wear black kimono with patterns on them Mm. so they don't wear any colors they don't wear like blue kimono or yellow kimono or anything like that only maikos which are geishas in training do and the sleeves aren't long enough right to be considered an actual traditional geisha or maiko kimono so they are actually uh, i can tell you the exact kind that they are cool because that's how inuit i am they are homongi kimono. I don't like to pronounce the word. It's H-O-M-O-U-N-G-I. Okay. They are the most formal type of kimono that you can have for women before going to a full black homongi. So they're kimono that are one solid color and then on the sleeves and the hem, they have a woven or painted design in them. They're reserved for special fancy dinners. You know, uh, if you can think like you got invited to go to a symphony, you would wear that kind of kimono. 
so just a quick note about it because i wanted to rewind and look at them because they were really pretty they were really they were authentic kimono sure but they weren't dressed properly for the characters that they were portraying and neither was the hair by the way but of course we know that it was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. shite but gosh they, they were really pretty kimono i like every time i see kimono in movies i always get really upset because very rarely are they wearing them correctly. You know that freaking weird movie that we watched about the diamonds and the world goes insane and they wind up in a helicopter under the ocean and they're like, we'll always have diamonds. And she's like, yes, we'll always have diamonds. I actually know exactly what you're talking about, but that is like a terrible description, of course. (laughs) But Morgan is talking about the 1988, one of my personal favorite weird cult classic 80s movies, Miracle Mile. Yeah, it's a fucking weird movie. But in that movie, a character is wearing a traditional kimono, but she's not wearing it properly because she doesn't know. Like, whoever whoever had it on set didn't know that, you know, you're supposed to properly dress people in a kimono. Anyway, yeah. Before we move on to other things, did you notice that since we're back at Paramount, Edith Head is back as costume designer? Oh, boy. Edith Head really fucked about. This almost seemed like they did that big final little musical number just to, like, throw her a bone and then she was like really ugh and so like no one was happy yeah (laughs) and yeah Yeah. including us the audience yeah it was really scuzzy but that was the end at least that was the final so we've that was my full not so brief summary of all the terrible garbage that's in this movie but now we don't have to talk about it anymore and we can just move on who directed this and why Why did this movie have to happen? Because. I, this movie was so bad, I turned to my boyfriend and I said, they didn't have to make this movie, but they did. Yes. And now we all must suffer. They did because, once again, the two United Artists productions that he had just done made a profit, but simply not enough for the old bean counters at the, the studios. Yeah. They didn't get to fill their pockets enough, so they went, well, we got to give ourselves another Paramount picture rear projection even though we filmed it in hawaii sucks. studio movie yeah it sucks and of course so of course they got norman torog this is his third elvis film of nine there's nine that he made this is only number three there are six more to go morgan oh my freaking god tell me one of the ones he did was that really bad one where elvis is like i'm middle eastern man <laughs> oh god harem scarum maybe i don't know yeah. I, i'll have to double check <laughs> I didn't want to look ahead too much. I don't want to, even though like I, I want to be prepared, but I don't, I don't at the same time. Knowing that I'm only a third of the way through this director's Elvis movies really frightens me. <laughs> yeah, because his two previous ones, of course, were GI Blues and Blue Hawaii. God, like, I, you know, yeah, okay. So they all are going to have this very specific <laughs> bottom of the barrel Elvis movie style. Um... And... Along with the director coming back for his third go with Elvis, this is the cinematographer's second movie. He did G.I. Blues, our good old boy, Loyal Griggs. Remember that name? (laughs) Yeah, I remember that name. (laughs) Loyal Griggs, the cinematographer on G.I. Blues. He's back for Girls, Girls, Girls. Sweet. And then the writer of this. So actually, there's a story by credit from Alan Weiss, who we brought up the last time because he did the story by for Blue Hawaii and he's going to throw the story by for a bunch of other Elvis movies, all the Formula Ones. Well, he really should learn when to stop. And we can even add more blame on him this time because he actually gets a co-screenwriting credit for the screenplay. 
Not just the story by, but him and the other credited main writer, Edward Anhalt, are credited with the screenplay. Gross. I hate them. But Edward Anhalt is so much better than this. He wrote the 1958 movie, The Young Lions, which we brought up because uh, Liliane Montevecchi was in that. And also that was a Marlon Brando and Montgomery Clift movie. Like a really good war drama, like, you know, Oscar stuff. And he also wrote the screenplay to 1964's Beckett, which got 12 Academy Award nominations. Damn. He fucked up. <laughs> the weirdest part about Beckett is that was also a Paramount Pictures movie produced by Hal Wallace, who's the producer of all these movies. And as far as I could tell from my research, Hal B. Wallace used the profits from Blue Hawaii. Yeah. Like almost just from Blue Hawaii themselves to finance the entirety of Beckett. Because as you recall, Blue Hawaii made all the money. Right. That's really strange. So he just took all that money and he's like, well, now I want to make a prestige movie with, you know, Richard Burton and Peter O'Toole. And he did. And it was called Beckett. And it's... Great. Better than any of this stuff. Hmm. Just really shows the way the movies worked. It's terrible. The movie business. Sucks. Not even once. Not even once. <laughs> Un- also, unfortunately, uh, to make up for the lack of alternate titles last week, because it was a remake of Kid Galahad, there are three different alternate titles this time. God. I mean, any one of them is probably better than Girls, Girls, Girls. Who knows? But there's a girl in every port. No, never mind. I take it back. That was That's terrible. That's even worse. That's a bad movie. That's a bad name for a movie. So alternate title, A Girl in Every Port, Welcome Aboard, which is probably the most innocuous that they could have used. And here's the dumbest, what? Okay, there was a third option, which was Gumbo Yaya. What the hell? I don't, I don't. Was that from an earlier version of the script? See, that's how you can tell that they didn't know what the fuck they were trying to make when they were making this movie, because there's a song in this movie about Gumbo. Did I you remember there's a, part, I like, there's a part where he's on the boat and he's... They're like, oh, well, oh, right. They I'm, talk I'm... about shrimp. There's a song of the shrimp. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I was I was starting to check out around there. Well, I guess we'll let's dovetail into the songs. There are 16 songs on this soundtrack. Yeah. The one that we have to talk about though is Return to Sender. Yes. We actually do get a hit. A hit came out of this. A big hit. This was number two on the billboards for, I think, a while when it came out and is actually one of my personal favorite Elvis songs. It's really good. I was very, very sad to find out. I was waiting for when this song was going to show up in the movies, and I was very sad to find out that this was the movie it showed up in. I feel like that's going to be a theme because, of course, Can't Help Falling in Love was from Blue Hawaii. Yeah. And that's another, like, all-timer. Ugh. Um, actually, I should point out that... There, yeah, there's the two, even though, like we said, there's only two girls, even though the title is Girls, Girls, Girls three times. And the other girl who's just like, that's her role. She's the other girl who's kind of like antagonistic with Elvis. And then, well, she doesn't get picked. And then she just kind of, whatever. She's a singer. Yeah. And so we got a few songs from her. So she gets to perform some stuff. Yeah, she does a lot of like old jazz songs. Uh, she does The Nearness of You. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got three. Never Let Me Go, The Nearness of You, and Baby, Baby, Baby. I don't want to riff on this chick too hard because it's bad enough she's in this movie. Oh, wait, and I'll get into it. She hated doing this movie. Yeah, really? (laughs) Anytime she's been interviewed since, she will, at the drop of a hat, just shit all over the studio (laughs) that forced her to do this movie. Yeah. Anyways. Sucks. So her performance in this, I think, actually reflects that attitude Mm -hmm. because the singing is not bad. It's not her singing. I was going to say, No. I was just going to say the singing wasn't bad, but I had a feeling because I remember the first time hearing her sing being like, this sounds like something. 
And the second time hearing her sing, I was like, this sounds like Ella Fitzgerald. This doesn't actually sound like the person who sang the first song. And it sounded very different. So I'm not surprised. And you could tell, like, you could tell when she was singing that she wasn't, her posture wasn't matching the level of voice that was coming through in the music. Particularly, like, in the last one, she she sings, it's like a big, it's an ending in a U, like a big U. And she's, like, bent over a piano and about to take a drag out of a cigarette, and I thought, there's no fucking way that they didn't do that in post. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Well, I mean, they do, yeah, even when Elvis is using his own singing voice, of course, but it's all dubbed over at the fact. They do it in the studio. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. Um, I will credit the actual singing voice, because, of course, she didn't get credited for this movie. Nice. Who is it? She's a singer named Gilda Macon. I see. She was a jazz pop singer. Mm-hmm. Lead singer of the Skylarks. The Skylarks. And yeah, she dubbed over the singing voice for Marianne Andrews for Hello, Dolly, 1969. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so wasn't, uh, I feel bad for that lady. I feel bad. She just, she she really looked like she was not excited to be on that movie. No, yeah. She, <laughs> I mean, correct. Who else do we have to talk about? Uh, yeah, let's not even name these songs. It sucks. Yeah, let's just... Let's just forget about the songs. Let's just talk about the actors. There's too many. Yeah, the songs are shitty. They even cut some, and there's still there's there's still too many. They cut a song. Yeah. Called "Where Do You Come From." <laughs> Where do you go? Where do you come from? <laughs> cut nine, Joe. Oh, Anything would have been better in this movie than the actual songs that they put in this movie. If this Elvis movie had had Cotton Eye Joe in this fucking movie instead of any of the songs except for "Return to Sender," I would have enjoyed this movie much, much more. <laughs> So, but let's talk about, um, let's bring up Elvis's name in this one. I think I did earlier during my rambling, but yeah, Ross Carpenter. Not the last time that he'll have the last name Carpenter, um, which is interesting. Oh. We'll get to that when we get to interesting. that. Interesting. But how do we feel about... Yeah, I think this is a middle one. Ross is okay. Yeah, Ross sounds like the kind, like Ross sounds like the name of the character he's playing for sure. Yes. He's like, if we're thinking Ross from Friends, that that Elvis is definitely a Ross in this movie in that like, yeah, he's just the worst. Yeah, for sure. No one likes him. Yeah, he's the worst. And like Elvis was kind of a, not a great guy. You know, he wasn't the greatest. So I'm going to give this like, like fifth place out of all of the names that we've done so far. Something like that. At some point, we will rank these and figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe save it for the halfway point. Oh, God. Which seems like it's so far away. (laughs) I know. God. Especially when you consider that we're going to have to watch more movies that are more like this one than they are not like this one. Six more directed by Norman Torog. Yeah. Yeah. We're not even halfway through those. Is Fun and Alcapulco directed by Norman Torog? I think it is. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, That movie is also bad. And it also has little brown guys and... Just let's just color our mo- literally like color up our movie with some ethnicity in here and uh, have oh, some fun God. sidekicks. It's so shitty. It's so shitty. Oh, he didn't direct. He did not direct uh, Fun and Acapulco, actually. Oh. We keep saying that this can't get worse. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it gets worse. And do you want to know how it gets worse? Uh, did they abuse the cat? Oh, wait, there was a cat in this. No, I well, maybe I don't want to think about that. I bet they did. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot about the cat in my big, like, rambling thing. There's a yeah. cat that can predict the weather, and then there's a back and forth yeah. between Elvis being like, that's stupid, that's some some hokey Asian nonsense, and then, of course, it turns out to be totally true. How does it get worse? That This movie 
was actually nominated for a Golden Globe. No. A legitimate filmic award. This movie was nominated for Girls, one of those. Girls, Girls, Girls. Girls, Girls, Girls. The, the only of the 31 Elvis movies made, this is the only one that somehow actually nabbed a Golden Globe nomination. That's so wrong. Like, can, like if anybody is watching any of the Elvis movies along with us, <laughs> which I know they're not, but like, um, like Wild in the Country not getting any nominations and in fact bombing so hard that i actually lost money just so that girls 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 could get nominated for a golden globe is really wrong it's really shitty now to be fair back in the day back in the 60s the golden globes yeah you know how the golden globes these days they have a drama category and then they have comedy and or musical combined yes but back yeah. then they had drama comedy and musical was a separate category in itself i see that still doesn't explain why there weren't at least, you know, five other musicals that are better than Girls, Girls, Girls that could have been part of the ballot. Yeah. Um, Jeez Louise. It didn't win, but it did get nominated, which is bad enough. And But what did win was The Music Man, oh. which is a great classic musical. Okay. And it doesn't stop there. Elvis was actually nominated for an award. <laughs> why? He was so bad in this movie. I know. I can't wrap my head around these i just like I just, like, like i i know it's hard for the audience because they pro like it's it's hard to watch all these elvis movies and be able to delineate between characters because when you see elvis in a movie you're like it's elvis but like kid galahad is like a soft kind of bumbling everyday joe who just wants to get back to simple living and this guy on this boat is a fucking asshole and is like i'm a I'm a rough and I don't take I'm handouts. I don't. I'm gonna make my own money. I gotta earn out everything. I'm a big boy and I can wipe my own poopy diaper now. <laughs> All I want is my boat, which I built with my dad before he died. And then he died, and I want my boat now. Mwah! And it's just like, okay, okay, all right, all right. He didn't deserve to have any nominations. Did he win? No. Oh, thank God. Now this is, and also this, this isn't like as big as a Golden Globe, which. I mean, we can disparage because the Golden Globes are a farce, so we can always say that. <laughs> Matt just comes right out and says it. I mean, come on now. The freaking <laughs> Golden Globes. They they are mo even more so now, and I'm sure they were back then. I have literally never watched the Golden Globes. Yeah. It's the one that combines TV and movie stuff, and it's just like... Yeah. The, it's the first... Whenever it, I think yeah. of the Golden Globes, I think of the Golden Girls. <laughs> and that's how I imagine... Like, I imagine that the Golden Girls host the Golden Globes every year, and that's why all of the nominations are so out of touch, because they get up on stage and they're like, this year's nomination is Girls, 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 because we just can't get enough of that hunk. He's so sexy. And in this movie, they really blow it out of the water by showcasing a lot of different ethnicities. <laughs> Talk about positive reinforcement. <laughs> um... So he was nominated. For, there's these things called the Laurel Awards, Ew. which were they weren't like an act. There was no actual ceremony. Somebody just slid an envelope under the table and was like, here you go, Elvis. <laughs> no, what they did was there was this magazine called Motion Picture Exhibitor Magazine. Really uh, classy, you know, really rolls off the tongue. Strange name, yeah. So from 1951 to 1971, the American Cinema Awards system established the Laurel Awards to honor the films, actors, actresses, producers, directors, and composers, blah, blah, blah. So like they would like expand the categories as they went, but here we go. In 1962, we're here, yeah, for Girls, 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 
Elvis Presley actually received second place as far as best male performance in a musical. Oh. But once again, he got beaten by the Music Man because first place went to Robert Preston for the title character of the Music Man. As it should have. As it should have. And Elvis should <laughs> not have even been place. on the ballot. No. He shouldn't have even been the top 10, let alone the top five no. or the top whatever they made. Yeah. You can tell that whoever nominated anything that year was like a bunch of people who were like, I don't know. I didn't get out much this year. I saw an Elvis movie, though. So which maybe I'll nominate that. We're, we're not innocent because it says here that the Golden Laurels were determined by both American and Canadian film buyers. Oh, no. Yep. That explains a lot. So the results were published in the magazine and there was no award ceremony for the actual thing. But like every year they would publish the list. Damn. And they would, yeah, instead of just being like, here's the winner and that's it, they would actually rank them. So he got second place just behind the Music Man, which is ridiculous. That's bad. I have a contemporary review from back in the day. Okay. Variety wrote about this film. Is it bad? Because I don't want to read it unless it's bad. They say, back into the non-dramatic, purely escapist, light musical vein. Essentially, Presley plays himself in this breezy sea session. He handles <laughs> the role capably, though one would hardly expect a hardened fisherman to be as soft, smooth, and white as the one Presley depicts. <laughs> yeah. But then they yeah. they have, and I'm like, yes, yes. But then at the last sentence they say is, the character has little depth, but he is pleasant. And I'm like, no, no, he's not. No. He Don't try not. to like be nice. He's he not isn't. pleasant. He sucks. I, li- I had the thought where he's like on the boat and he's wearing a black shirt and the collar is like perfectly popped the whole time. And for some reason, like with the hat, all I could think of was that Elvis looks like he's from the Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs> Like, the silhouette looks so much like a Nazi. <laughs> mm. Just wanted to throw that out there. All right, let's talk about some people. Okay. We'll talk about Stella Stevens. Sure. Who has the thankless task of playing Robin Gantner, the singer, at the nightclub. Okay. Before we even get to her, though, I'm just going to talk about her thoughts on the movie, because they're great. <laughs> Do you have quotes from her? Sure. In a 2004 interview, she says she was sent the script by Paramount, who she was under contract with, because that contract, mm, good times. Yeah. And she thought... Hmm, he's from Memphis and so am I. Maybe it's a good idea to put together. And then she actually read it. (laughs) And it says she wound up throwing it across the room because she says she thought it was, and I quote, a piece of shit. (laughs) Just straight up. That's amazing. And then she barged into the offices of Paramount, even though she was still like an up and comer. So, but she's like, I don't care. I'm going to try to like give him a piece of my mind. And they're like, she's like, I'm not doing this. And they're like, you're doing it. And they ended up compromising and that she was forced to do this, but they promised her that if she did this movie, she would be able to appear in another film, a film that actually is halfway decent and worth watching from 1961. So actually, I think just because of scheduling stuff, yeah, it came out before, but it's called Too Late Blues and stars Bobby Darin in a non-musical performance. It's like a dramatic role. It was actually directed by John Cassavetes. It was his first movie with the studio. So it's not the best John Cassavetes. Obviously, he had to... um, the studio mandated that he have to do a studio picture. But as far as these things go, it's about like this volatile jazz musician cool. who's like self-destructive. And yeah, Bobby Darren's actually really good in it. Nice. I remember I I was back in the heyday when I was always just binge watching Turner Classic movies, which explains a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> they were like, and coming up next, Tule Blue starring Bobby Darren. I'm like, oh, Bobby Darren acting. That's cool. I want to check that out. And I was like, ooh, you know what? This is pretty good. And she, she plays like the main female lead in that. Nice. Although when they promised her that she would be able to do this movie if she did Girls, 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 at the time, Montgomery Clift was going to play the lead role. Oh. You know, no shade on Bobby Darren, but Montgomery Clift is like yeah. an all-timer. Sucks. Uh, 
Oh, right. I was talking about how Stella Stevens called this movie a piece of shit, which is correct. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Here's some more meta connections to other Elvis movies. So outside of the Pirate's Den nightclub, there's like two movie posters because I guess there's like a theater there. Yep. There's the poster for Blue Hawaii. Oh, interesting. Starring Elvis Presley. And then another Paramount picture called Summer and Smoke from 1961. So two 1961 hmm. features and they just like <laughs> slap some advertising for their other movies within their movies because it's just an Ouroboros of garbage <laughs> um oh wait here's a here's a minor thing okay so i don't know if you noticed that in both follow that dream and kid galahad elvis's natural hair color was coming through a bit more because he's not he doesn't have jet black hair that he did that for the movies oh no i i didn't notice yeah you can definitely see more of the brown because he's actually he's got like brown hair naturally mm. but this but in this movie it's way back it's completely back to jet black because that's the way it was with Paramount. I didn't actually know that Elvis's hair wasn't black. I didn't know that. As soon as he got into the movies. Yeah, actually, because you would have noticed it in Love Me Tender, except that movie was shot in black and white. Black and white. But when he did Loving You, that's when he's like, oh, it's my first color picture. Let me like whoosh, jet black that hair. And then that became like a signature look. But yeah. Wow. Not his natural hair color. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, who else has played in this movie and how much did they hate it? Well, yes, like I said, Stella Stevens is the only one that's like super adamant. Like she hated this a bunch. Yeah. So Laurel Goodwin, who's the other. Yeah. She plays Laurel Dodge. Hmm. It's one of those where like, oh, let's just use your name, whatever. Right. You're Laurel. You play Laurel. Who cares? Only 16 credits. This was her debut. Oh. So it's one of those where like, hey, you're a pretty face. We'll stick you in this movie. Yeah, and she is very pretty. She, yeah. She's got an Audrey Hepburn look, partly because this movie is styled much more 1960s mm-hmm. than it is 1950s. So we're we're getting we're getting to the full like 1960s, like this, the straight silhouette look with the really straight lines. No more big poofy skirts and stuff like that. Not really in this movie. Um, And but something noteworthy that she was in was the original pilot for Star Trek. Oh, that's cool. Yes, which, you know, the the fans know was called The Cage, and it didn't feature Captain Kirk. It featured Captain Pike, who was a different actor. It wasn't William Shatter yet. It was this 1965 pilot they shot as a proof of concept. And other than, like, Spock, there really wasn't any of the characters that made the, the in the final version of the show. Wow. But she's in that pilot, which is interesting. Cool. Um, then we have Wesley Johnson. Mr. Johnson, the douchebag who wants the boat. He's the bad guy. The actor's name is Jeremy Slate. He's another returning character. He was Turk in G.I. Blues. Oh. So as far as I can remember, because I've already trying to wipe some of these away from my brain. Yeah. I think that was the dude who makes the bet. He's part of the rival regiment of army dudes that talked to Elvis's regiment of army dudes and makes the bet about the dancer. Cool. He also appears in True Grit in 1969. Oh. He plays Emmett Quincy. Wait a minute. True Grit was a remake? The Coen Brothers True Grit? Yeah. I had no idea. I love True Grit. Should I watch it? It's, Have I mean, you watched it? Yeah, I've seen both versions. They're pretty... Well, that's the thing is, the Coen Brothers insisted that it's not a remake because they were both from the same source material. It's technically a re-adaptation of the book. Right. But, I mean, the original was pretty faithful to the book to begin with. So, like, they're they're very close... How is the child actor in the original? She's great. Oh, well, maybe I'll watch um, it. Also, do you know who's the co-star who plays the Matt Damon role in the original? No. I don't remember Matt Damon being in the in the Coen Brothers one. Matt Damon is the main secondary dude. There's a trio of them. It's it's Jeff Bridges. It's oh my Mr. God, Cockburn. that's Matt Damon. 
oh my god, I didn't know that was Matt Damon. Yeah. That was Matt Damon the whole time. He had a mustache. It fooled me. Oh you. my god. <laughs> he got me with his mustache. Oh my god. Am I am I actually just so stupid? <laughs> but that original that part in the original is played by Glenn Campbell, singer Glenn Campbell. That's amazing. Um all right, Turk. He was a shitty character then. He was a shitty character this time. Now we get to move on. Um, we're going to talk about Benson Fong, who plays Kin Young. Okay. As I was finalizing the research right before we started this episode, I unfortunately found out <laughs> that the actor who plays like the patriarch of uh, the Young family there, buddies with Elvis, he did, and we brought this up when we talked about Blue Hawaii, because the character, the guy, the actor who played Elvis's dad in that, did six. Charlie Chan movies. Right, which were like really horribly racist. Yes, it's terrible. Well, it turns out that Benson Fong also did six Charlie Chan movies as the sidekick to Charlie Chan. Oh my God. I think as as, as the son, one of the sons of Charlie Chan's character. That's crazy. So, you know, they That's cast- That's just crazy. Yeah, they Imagine cast- Imagine having, yeah, a white guy for the main role of a Chinese character, but his son- Are played by actual- played by a- actual chinese actors yes for six movies you just have to sit there and take it and be like oh yes <laughs> yikes but there's no overlap it turns out that these weren't it wasn't the same charlie chan's where elf's character's dad was playing the charlie chan it was a mother actor i see he actually passed away right before like an elvis's dad's actor took over the role of charlie chan for movies after so they don't there's no overlap. They don't correlate. And it's the damn love bug again. 1968's the love bug. Weird. Which I become more and more convinced. <laughs> every is, actor. Is it all began. It's like connected some way to that damn Disney movie about a freaking Volkswagen Beetle that's a lie with a personality. Matt's got like a cork board in his bedroom with a bunch of pins in it that have little pieces of yarn attached to it and all of them point to the love bug. Yes. <laughs> Who else are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the owner of uh, the pirate den. Okay. Who I thought we would had already been in an Elvis movie, but it turns out he'll be in an, an, a future Elvis movie, but we haven't actually seen him before. He just has one of those like recognizable. Um, kind of- not to go off track, but like because this movie did such a huge disservice to the Asian community, are we going to talk at all about the other Asian actors? Like I couldn't find to- really. Oh, that sucks. Also, I was kind of doing this last minute, unfortunately. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I could try in real time to try to well, find okay, some stuff. You, hold up. I'll do that, and you talk about the guy who runs the shop. Okay. Okay, so you tell me. I know that My Ling and Tai Ling and the little girls and stuff, this is the only movie they're in. This is it. All right. I'm assuming that the, for the majority of these people, it might be that the case. Right. Um. Okay. Tell me about the guy who runs the shop. Right. So the club owner named Sam Anderson owns uh, the Pirate's Den. He's played by Robert Strauss, who, yeah, I thought I recognized, but turns out he just has one of those phases, I guess. He was in the 1955 drama with Frank Sinatra, The Man with the Golden Arm, which is the movie where Frank Sinatra was addicted to heroin. Pretty hard-hitting stuff for 55. And then, yeah, he'll make a future appearance in an Elvis movie, and we'll talk about it when we get to it. The only other one I have written down here is... uh, Papa Stavros, Papa Stavros, who owns the boats and is retiring to Arizona. He's played by Frank Puglia, and he was in the classic Ray Harryhausen special effects monster movie, 20 Million Miles to Earth, as Dr. Leonardo. Hmm. 
So that was fun. Okay. I have the Asian actors. Okay. Go for it. So Guy Lee, who plays Chen Young, which is the son, mm-hmm. he played in Girls, 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 Richard Diamond, Private Detective, and he was also in The Man from Uncle. Oh, he was one of the original seven founding members of East West Players, the Asian American theater company in Los Angeles formed in 1965, which is still in operation today. Cool. So he actually uh, founded an organization to help Asian actors get get their get their kicks. But yeah, for some reason, for a guy who like founded the Asian Actors Association, he does not have a lot of credits. Well, it seemed that it was more of like a theater thing, so it must be a lot of stage work, maybe. Uh, you know, classy stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actual art. And the mom is Beulah Kuo, I think is how you pronounce her name. She was in Chinatown, 77 Sunset Strip, and she has 88 credits. That's good. Yeah, she's she's been pretty successful. So let's see. Yeah, she's in Chinatown, as a, credited as a maid. Hmm. But she seems to have a lot of TV credits. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, it's a reoccurring thing where like there's not too many feature films, but there's a lot of TV. Yeah, she's a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of TV. It's a steady. It's a steady paycheck. It's much more a reliable kind of thing. So is that all the characters? That's all I bothered to write. Like I said, I was right. kind of pressed for time, yeah. and also I just didn't care enough. Yeah, we <laughs> we really don't care about this movie. <laughs> um. Um, but like the Myling and Tyling and their brother, they're all actual siblings in real life. Oh. So. Interesting. But yeah, this is the only movie they did. I see. Okay. Well. Just cast them as cute kids. They're probably related to someone from the production or something. Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about this god awful piece of shite? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I really took a good long look at this and said, uh. I don't think no. so. So, uh, final thoughts for this movie. It's bad and you shouldn't watch it. You just, you just don't fucking watch it. Like, it's such a waste of time and it's so hard to get through because of all of the really shitty things they say and do about women and Asian people. And, um, also because it's just bad. It looks like they took some kind of, like, you know those hands? Those, like, they're made out of some weird gooey, sticky material. Oh, the sticky hands? Yeah, you used to swing them back and forth and try to hit your friends with them. Well, it looks like the people who wanted to make this movie took one of those hands and threw a bunch of suggestions for movies onto the ground and then whipped the hand to them and whatever the hand picked up was what they decided to try and make a movie with. That's such a more elaborate analogy than just saying (laughs) they threw darts at a board which is usually what people would go to but you know what i appreciate the sticky hand nostalgia because i remember those toys i remember being a kid and they were like you can't bring them to school anymore because they hit each other (laughs) kids fucking as soon as you got them out of the packaging they would be absolutely filthy immediately destroyed yeah because it's just (laughs) a like last for a day They'd just be full They'd of hair up, and like, just every yeah, yeah cat hair dirt everything. Kids would be coming home from school with like little tiny slap marks all over their body. <laughs> so bizarre. Yes. Yeah. All right, that's the end of today's episode. Uh, what are we gonna watch next after this? Um, just so you guys know, Matt made a color coded movie list for me. I was like, Matt, can you tell me what the movies are in a list in order? And he's like, yeah. And then I went into our shared drive and found out that not only did he do that, he also color-coded which movies were in which of the collections that he sent to me. 
that I, which I thought now was... you're assuming as soon as you asked me for that's when I started working on that no I already had that done <laughs> you already had it it's amazing I'm impressed I'm not even joshing I'm, I'm just I'm just straight up impressed I like to be organized to a fault sometimes also like because it looks so professional like if I tried to make something that looks like this it would take me a lot longer I literally was just so like, I'll tell you copy pasting it I'll from IMDb it happened at the world's fair yeah and then uh fun in el capulco is going to be after that and yeah then viva las vegas i'm excited we're close that yeah that's at least that's like a little light at the end of the tunnel we can kind of see this yeah kinda... uh just so you guys know movie number 15 which will officially mark the halfway point is called kissing cousins that's our halfway one? Oh boy oh boy yeah i before we have one last we're, we're going we're gonna just wrap it up and, and say our sign off yeah it happened at the World's Fair. I brought up because it had been the most recent Elvis movie to be put out on Blu-ray. Yep. But just the other day, they they're, they're, the announcements are still coming. Not Blue Hawaii yet. Which, <laughs> like I said, literally just for the picture quality, not for the movie itself. Right. But they announced that Change of Habit, his final film, is getting a Blu-ray release. That's weird. In North America, because it already had a German release. I see. So that bumps up the number all the way to 13 out of 31. Interesting. So... In the next couple of episodes, we will have covered more movies than the actual studio has. <laughs> yeah, the actual studio has bothered to put out on Blu-ray, correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Maybe we're helping. Maybe they saw our podcast and they're like, oh shit, we got to release more Blu-ray copies of Elvis movies. Because these idiots are going to buy them up. <laughs> I like to, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll take that claim. Why not? Yeah. I'll probably feel sorry. <laughs> It's our fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forgive us, Father, for we have sinned. We interested the public in Elvis movies again. We didn't know the responsibility of our actions when we took them. All right. Matt, I just want to let you guys know, Matt looks really sad. Like, <laughs> Matt's been, like, through this movie, and he's just, like, I think everybody, if they were going to go through and watch all 31 Elvis movies, would eventually meet the movie that breaks them. And for me, that happened so early because of the indigenous people's representation. Like, that just really killed me. And I feel like it's finally happened for Matt. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Matt, <laughs> Matt's looking at the camera and he's like, I want to I end now, Morgan. I want to say goodbye. Can we just say thank you, thank you very much, please? <laughs> yeah, we can say thank you, thank you very much. Okay, ready? Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thank you. No wait. Thank you very much. No, uh, he doesn't want to do it that way. <laughs> he wants to do it a different way. No, no, no. We'll do it again. I was. Just, I missed my cue. It's all good. All right. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us for this dumb fucking episode of this terrible movie. Yeah. And as always, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you very much. much.